1: And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, we've got a phenomenal program today. We've got actually three guests on the program today, not all at once, but we have a a brief, uh, brief, very brief interview with uh, our good friend, property manager and past guest, Klaus Rode. Um, so he operates That's both right. in uh, Toronto and in Vancouver. Um, as a property manager, has almost 200 doors. So he's a, he's going to be commenting just on what's happening in the rental market right now in Vancouver and a little bit in Toronto. Um, and then we also have a really great chat from February with Adrian Crook and Rob McDowell.
2: Yeah, so the interesting thing here is, I mean, first off, everybody will uh, remember Adrian Crook, past guest, five kids, one condo. Right. Uh, he ran for city council last time. Uh, he 's currently appealing i think the supreme Court uh for for how he 's rearing his kids and and I think he 's fighting the good fight there no kidding. Uh, really important really important figure around the city and and similarly rob McDowell, a friend of Adrian two time candidate for city council uh, on many boards big Big in the arts community, former diplomat. Uh both these guys watch the city very closely and and they're very engaged. So it was fantastic talking to them about kind of what's been going on since uh with the with the city council that's not so new anymore. Right. Uh what the city's getting right, what they're getting wrong, uh what we need to watch for. Um but we should highlight here, Adam, that this was done. Uh, in a simpler time, back when covid wasn 't even on on the radar really in right. a lot of ways, and we were going to release this earlier, but then covid hit and uh so we 've been really kind of focused on our covid coverage two episodes a week sure and uh and I feel like i 'm kind of getting sick of thinking of covid so we thought, you know what? It's a great time because we're talking about stuff that's still important to the city, no matter how you slice it. This is a this is an important, really a great conversation to have. Um, so yeah, stay tuned for that. Adrian Crook and Rob
1: McDowell. It's great, and and like you said, the council for the city of Vancouver is not so new anymore. But I tell you what, they are new to Zoom calls. <laughs> 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 I don't know if you heard this, Matt, but the. Uh, The infamous toilet flush on on the council Zoom call the other day. I'm going to actually, Secret, if you're listening, and I hope you're well. (laughs) Nobody's heard from (laughs) you. You may not be. Yeah. But but, uh, if you are listening, Secret, please add that to the end of this program because it is amazing. It is like Mayor Stewart uh, couldn't get his internet connection working and then... uh, there's a flushing of a toilet. Uh, everyone's screaming to mute their phones. It's it's a great recording. Like, and somebody apparently took a call from a delivery person uh, <laughs> without <laughs> muting. It's like just unbelievable. Like you couldn't write this stuff,
2: right? Yeah. I mean, it's
1: it's uh, in it, it was the best. It was the highlight of my day. Listen, I listened to it a few times, but we'll we'll try and go out on that secret. And uh, anyways, it, it is great. But um, Matt, before we get to our interviews, oh oh one thing I did want to say Adam is is the the longer
2: conversation with Robin Adrian is a really kind of evergreen conversation about the city right. uh, which is really useful and and fun and engaging as far as I'm concerned and then Klaus is like, Yesterday, touching base about what happened with uh, rents in April, what's going to happen in May and June, what does that mean for the rental market, a real on the ground COVID special. So we'll start with Klaus, we'll move on to Adrian and Rob after that. Um, so if you were fearful that you weren't going to get any COVID coverage, which I'm pretty <laughs> sure nobody's fearful of, uh, yeah. we got you covered. Yeah, for sure. This episode. For,
1: for sure. And Matt, before we get to our, our, our interview with Klaus first, um, we got to remind everybody of our sponsorship, Oakwin Realty, and we have our Oakwin well, it's not really a tip today. It's a, it's a bit of a non-tip. It's, it's a non-tip moving forward, uh, which is... Like I thought and uh,
2: said to you, is a little bit unfortunate because Oakland, the Oakland tip, I I love that segment, and we're going to try and and keep uh, providing tips of our own, maybe even some <laughs> real estate related ones at, at some point. Right? Um, but Oakland is, has asked us to kind of change up uh, the sponsorship a little bit. They're still sponsoring the Vancouver real estate podcast, but they're looking to, you know not have us just say, Hey, Oakland's a great place. Everybody listen up. Oakland's a great place, which we're more than happy to do. But now we're talking specifically to real estate professionals. That's real estate agents, people that are new to the business or are looking to make a change from a a kind of stale environment at another brokerage
1: because Oakland is a phenomenal place to be. Yeah, for sure, Matt. And you know what? Just as a bit of an incentive for new agents that are looking for a change or looking to be at a very supportive and exciting brokerage, head over to Oakwind.com/Join, and you can sign up there. If you if you put in VRP twenty twenty, the code VRP twenty twenty, there is a huge, huge surprise and a special secret gift. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I think they
2: say they what they call it a free mystery gift we'll call it a huge
1: huge Secret gift. surprise yeah <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a very very huge surprise i have no idea what it is but they are the they are like the you get a car you get a car you get a car type brokerage right i mean it you might you know be know a what? car Oak, Oakland, it
2: working at oakland is like having uh it's like a resource uh gift at every stage right they're always coming up with new things but you're right i I think it's morgan brown especially who is who reminds me at least and and you've said it too
1: yeah you get a car you get a car you get a car she's like the uh the okra of oakland Right? The uh, the it, that was a play on Oprah. Totally. Man, obviously. But she's uh yeah, she's she's got that energy. <laughs> she reminds me a lot of Oprah. And I think she's a big Oprah fan too. Definitely got that energy. So
2: if you're looking for that huge, huge surprise <laughs> or what Oakwin's calling or what Oakwin's <laughs> calling that free mystery gift, com slash join type in vrp i think that's kind of a vancouver real estate podcast without 2020, the estate. So vrp 2020 if you type in vrep vrep 2020
1: i'm pretty sure you're going to get that huge surprise as well well you'll, you'll get it you'll get a call no without gift. the surprise yeah <laughs> there'll be no gift um so get it right uh, but anyways matt we've got a great interview today so let's start with klaus here um and uh great conversation about the rental market in Vancouver and he's got offices in Toronto as well so we touch on Toronto a little bit as well and rental market amidst covid-19 enjoy okay so we're here with close road past guest managing broker with offices both in Vancouver and Toronto how you doing close
3: Pretty
1: good. How are you doing? Doing well, thanks. Thanks for taking the time today.
3: Yeah, no problem. It's uh, you know cut, cut, no, nothing much to do, so uh, <laughs> <that's> <laughs> I, definitely good to
2: socialize. I, I heard sure. Klaus. Didn't you make a Costco run earlier today? That
1: was like the big, <laughs> the big. <thing. laughs> that was that,
3: that was the big event. Yes, indeed.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, so Klaus, um, uh, maybe if you could start by by telling everybody uh, a little bit about yourself.
3: Uh, yes, so I'm uh, the, uh, actually now the associate broker at Century 21 in town in Vancouver, and I'm with Century 21 Percy Fulton in Toronto. Um, I run a uh, rental portfolio out of Vancouver. We've got roughly, actually, we've got 174 units right now that we manage full-time. And so we've got a steady number of properties where we do tenant placements for owners that manage their own properties. And I'm uh, hoping to set up the... Uh, similar business here in Toronto. Um, just uh, basically moved my license out to Toronto in uh, November.
1: Fantastic. And, and with 174 properties under management, do you get a lot of calls in the middle of the night?
3: Um, not really, no. <laughs> it's, no. Uh, most of them are condos. So if it's a building emergency, uh, you know that will go to the concierge uh, or the building strata. Um, so it's, uh, it's definitely not too bad. We deal with most non-emergency calls, uh, you know, broken carburetors, that sort of thing.
1: More during the day type stuff. Yeah, and close. And you're
2: so in with the plan to set up in Toronto. You're you're back and forth uh, between the big smoke and Vancouver uh, quite regularly.
3: Yeah, pretty much uh, every two months at the latest. Um, I was actually just there in in March, and I meant to stay for about three weeks, but had to. Take off early to make it back to Toronto before the whole country shut down. So that was interesting. <laughs> I,
1: I think I saw you around those times. You were uh, we were we were seeing a, a property together, and it was like yeah. Yale Town was a ghost town. Like it was right when things really shifted. Um, yeah, I think in, it was
3: it was sort of the the week that I came in. I think the the shutdown slowly rolled out. So right, and then the week after I left,
1: and then back to the big smoke.
3: Yeah, do, in, do you, you guys call it the corn, big smoke
1: yeah. there, or is it just is it just Matt? And no, no,
3: it's I I? just the T dot, <laughs> the T dot. Yeah. And and uh,
1: funny, Vancouver should be called the big smoke, I think, or or the little already,
3: smoke, especially. Especially these days with all the forest fires. Well, yeah, yeah,
2: no kidding. Hopefully, hopefully not. uh, Hopefully not this year. But uh, so close. Even even though you're in Toronto with managing close to 200 doors here in Vancouver, you definitely have, um, I would say, your finger on the pulse of what's going on uh, in Vancouver with the the changes to the Residential Tenancy Act under these kind of uh, emergency circumstances, but what, uh, with the frills and everything else, but what what are you seeing on the ground right now?
3: Yeah, it's, I mean, I'm, I'm in close touch with my team out in, in Vancouver, so I mean, we're always having these conversations, and right now, I mean, we're starting to see a small decrease in rents. Uh, not a lot. It's about 50 maybe maybe $100, depending on the properties, uh, and rents, you know, started to stabilize probably about the month before, so they're they're definitely not increasing. And I would say over the next month, two months or so, we're probably going to see a steady decrease in adjustment. Um, you know, maybe $200 max, I would say for one bedrooms. That seems to be market right now, sitting about 18, 1900s. Two bedrooms is a bit more uh, complicated, based on size, location, all that. Uh, and, and the price range with two bedrooms has always been pretty huge, anywhere from 26 to 3,000, 4,000 uh so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out but i i know on the higher end they'll, they'll have to come down quite a bit
2: it, it doesn't seem surprising that at least in the short term here rents are going to come down considering like you, you and we'll get to this but you're you've actually placed a number of tenants in the last week or two i didn't even know anyone was leaving their house so presumably to to kind of lock in a new uh, tenant is is more challenging now, and presumably uh, uh, lower rent is is the way to get those get eyeballs on the property and and actually secure a tenant. In terms of the doors that you have under management right now, ha- did you see a lot of uh, a lot of tenants have to defer in in April?
3: Uh, no, we had about four people calling for deferrals um, and uh, so that wasn't too bad. So April, I think is pretty good. Uh, and for the deferrals, it wasn't the whole rent, it was just a small portion, uh, basically just people trying to to line up the uh, BC Housing Grants, um, and they deferred that portion. And once we get the checks from the government, then, you know, the rent will be paid in full.
2: So four of 170 or 180 odd units.
3: Yeah. Yeah, we've been pretty lucky, I think. Um but most of the, uh, the people that we have as tenants are, are professionals in, you know, you know, some sort of freelance or accounting backgrounds, and, and they're all working from home. Um, we don't have a lot of people that are working in the film industry. Uh, most, you know, of course, I mean, that shut down and uh, a lot of people are out of, uh, out of jobs.
2: Well, in the restaurant industry as well, right? That's
3: uh... Yeah. And I, I was going to say, I mean, the... the few people that we did have were actually working in the, the hospitality and, and food industry. So, you know, that wasn't a huge shock uh, that, you know, unfortunately they got laid off. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm hoping they'll, you know, they'll be able to get their jobs back uh, fairly shortly, but uh, I mean, it's, it's starting to look like we're in this for the long haul.
2: It, it just, just along uh, the same line here, Klaus, so you, you have a lot of property managers that, that work with you and and uh, obviously, presumably, you're speaking to a lot of people in the in in the business in the industry. Um, do you think are you is is your uh, like four of close to 200 doors seems uh, exceptional? Am I am I off on that? Like, do you, would you say most people had more deferrals than that uh, that they were dealing with with the similar kind of door count? Um, but I'd say
3: most people probably for for April at least. Were pretty similar. Um, I mean, they're, you know, depending on on the price points, you, there may have been some management companies with a few more people. Um, but overall, I think April was pretty good because most people were working for at least part of March, if not all of it. Uh, I think May going forward is going to be the uh, the more difficult one, and then of course June.
2: So, cause in terms of May and I do, it seems like a lot of people are thinking May is where the rubber hits the road. Uh, May, June, like, are you are you expecting a lot more uh, people coming to you with with problems paying the rent? Then
3: um, we've probably had about six or seven people email this week um, that are applying for various system programs. Um, they needed various informations for the landlords, that sort of thing. So I I think definitely in in May we're going to get hits a little more. Um, I still think it'll probably end up being maybe 10% um, total, um, because I think everybody else is pretty much secure in the jobs.
1: So Klaus, just thinking about the landscape right now, um, it's obviously gotten a lot more complicated as a property manager now. There's a lot of different things to navigate. Like, what are some of the challenges right now in the in the post COVID nineteen kind of era here? And also um, in thinking about the eviction moratorium. Like, what are some of the? Uh, have you seen any issues come up, or, or where are the new complications that people should
3: be aware of? Well, the complications. I mean, with evictions, you, you can't give any evictions right now. So the complication comes in that if, if somebody really doesn't pay rent, you can't you can't serve the notice to try to get some money from your tenants. Um, so, that, I mean, that's why communication is key, you, you know, talk to your tenants, tenants talk to your landlords and and try to work something out. And, uh, you know, hopefully that everybody can work on a positive note here. Uh, in terms of uh, tenanted and units um, that are being sold uh, where the, uh, you know, the new owners wanted to give uh, notice to the tenants to maybe move in. Um, They can't serve notice right now. Um, I mean, you could try to to sign a mutual agreement to end tenancy, but if the tenants then don't move out because they have no place to go, you have no way of enforcing that. So I think that's the tricky part is, is the changeover between Tenants and owners, or even from tenant to tenant, if one tenant doesn't move out and the new tenant wants to move in, you've got no recourse at this point.
1: What if the if the tenant had been served notice just prior to the uh, to the changes to the Residential Tenancy
3: Act? I think, from my understanding, is that it really depends on the uh, the situation. So, if it was something urgent, and it's still the case, I mean, if if somebody is causing a danger to the to the property. Or to the neighbors, you can still evict, that's enforceable. It's just that for non-payment, that's that's not enforceable. Um, so if something was, if, if the tenants had to move out before April 1st, that was still enforceable. After, that's not, not enforceable, unfortunately. So they, they could end up saying...
1: So I'm just thinking, like, so for example, and I'm just thinking of a scenario, somebody who has purchased a property to live in has served notice, two months notice to a tenant who is month to month and might be uh, taking possession, say, a month from now and not actually be able to move in.
3: That's right. Because you, you have no way of enforcing that. So if the tenants are still there, you can't go to the courts and get a possession order or the writ of possession. Um, so you basically, you know, have to stay in a hotel until they leave.
1: And and then on on the flip side is if that person has sold their condo to someone who's an end user, um, pushing out the dates will be tricky as well. So you can, I guess, a hotel is the option.
3: Yeah, hotel or I mean, there's probably lots of furnished accommodation available through Airbnb at this point. So I'm pretty sure they're not doing much business right now. Um, so there, there, are options, um, and you know people can definitely try to work things out. Uh, but yeah, it's it's. A, I think that's the trickiest part of the whole business right now is, is notices and people sort of expecting to take over properties they thought that were tenanted and the tenants not having a place to go.
2: So close. Uh, we talked to uh, the CEO David Hutniak of uh, of uh, Landlord BC last week and and we one of the one of the things that came up was um and I and I think it's potentially overblown but I'd be curious to hear your thoughts about kind of the politicization of the moment where certain uh tenant advocacy groups are 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 arguing don't pay you know just don't pay the rent I think it's big in Toronto as well um are you seeing any of that on the ground like a politicization of it?
3: Um, a little bit. I mean, you, you do see it on, on Facebook, and, and I've seen it through just sort of acquaintances. Uh, and I think that's more sort of even targeted towards people that are in just total uh, rental buildings rather than individual condos. Uh, it, it's a different market, and I think it's a different income bracket as well. Uh, I think the whole uh, don't-pay-rent movement is, is mostly younger people. And uh, they tend to be, you know, more on a budget. They they just don't have any savings built up. Uh, Whereas if you're dealing in a strata building, um, individually owned properties that are more high-end, it's generally professionals, and most of them are still working.
2: Close. another thing that... um you know i just had a conversation with somebody about this and uh it seems and again i spend too much time on twitter all all sorts of people are seem to think that there's uh all these airbnbs that are going to either flood the rental market or or flood um flood the, the resale market um and and of course adam and i work in in vancouver and and airbnb has largely went by the wayside because of the the rules put in place by the city, and uh, and also most stratas have uh, entirely cracked down on them. Um, at least that's my take on that. What what impact do you think uh, Airbnb uh, or those units that still exist are going to have on on the rental market, if any at all?
3: Yeah, I don't think the impact is going to be too huge. Um, I mean, we saw the big hit last year uh, when the rules came in and a lot of owners decided to take out the furniture and go unfurnished. Um, so I think what's left now is is pretty easily absorbed in the market for just furnished rentals, uh, especially in the short term right now because if you have people that are looking to, you know, they can't get into their their space and they're looking for something, yeah, uh, they're right. going to rent something furnished. Or, you know, even, you know, God forbid, if there's a flood in a building and uh, tenants have to move out and find something temporarily to stay in for a month or two while the repairs are being done. Uh, So insurance claims would probably pick up a lot of that that slack right there as well.
1: Right. Right. Well, um, maybe just as a a final question, Klaus, um, you know, you've kind of given your short term predictions of of where rents will will likely go and uh, a little bit of softening in the market. How about like when is when is the bounce back and and when do you th- do you see rents like what are the, your projections for the next say one to two years in in the city of Vancouver?
3: Um, it's, it's tough to say. I mean, you know, I mean, there's some people are saying we're dealing with COVID till twenty twenty two now, um, so it, it'll be interesting. I mean, if, if all things remain equal, if we flatten the curve and, and we're over this this hump in the next few few weeks. Um, I think there'll be the short-term softening, but by the fall, you'll probably see the leveling off and stabilizing of rents. Next year, rent prices will probably increase a bit um, because I, you know, a lot of owners, just based on their expenses, loan from mortgage rates and insurance, and insurance premiums are really going high in Vancouver. Uh, they'll probably have to just give uh, rent increase notices to their tenants. So at that point, they'll probably see a bit of an increase.
2: Fantastic. Well, well, maybe we'll leave it there, Klaus, but how can people, uh, especially those looking for really solid property managers, uh, find out more about what you're doing?
3: I'm just find me at klausroad.ca. Uh, I'm still working on the new rental site. That should be up in the next few weeks as well. Or uh, you can check it out on Century 21 at klaus-road.ca. C21.ca. Uh, As
1: a mouthful. <laughs> do you do you want to give your number too, Klaus, or uh, it's up to you?
3: Um, sure. Yeah, it's my uh, cell
2: 604-760-5856. Highly recommended. Well, thanks so much for your time again, Klaus, and and be safe in in the what are the what do you call it the T T O
1: the the six or
3: the six? Yeah, the six. I'll I'll see you when I get back to the Vancouver.
2: So there you have it folks. Our short discussion with property manager Klaus Road. Uh that was a really interesting update. And um I'm kinda surprised by the by the lack of deferrals in his portfolio there. That's uh that's was surprising, but it sounds like there's potentially
1: uh, we're not out of the weeds yet with that, that's for sure. No, and Klaus is a great guy, great property manager, and always nice to check in with him. But Matt, this is going to be a long one, so why don't we cut to our interview with Adrian Crook and Rob McDowell? Yeah, this is a great one as well, so enjoy. <laughs> Okay, so our guest today—you guys wear a lot of hats, so I'll try and uh, I'll try and get through this. Rob McDowell, who is a consultant, former diplomat, yeah, you bet, and uh, also was a uh, former city councilor candidate. Yes, two uh, times. <laughs> Excellent. Well, welcome, Rob, and then of course, past guest, fan favorite, Adrian Crook, uh, rental and housing advocate, and former city councilor candidate. Welcome to you both. Uh, Can you start um, maybe, Rob, by telling us a little bit about yourself? Oh, sure. Um, As you mentioned, I was in uh, Asia for about 12 years.
4: I am from Vancouver. I was actually born in Burnaby, but uh, grew up here. I was in uh, Vietnam with the embassy in Hanoi, opened that up uh, with the trade section, moved down to Ho Chi Minh City, where I was the director of the trade office for Canada, and then up to Beijing, where I worked for the – it was the Canada-China Business Council, which is the big uh, political body to, to organize those Team Canada events in uh, China. And then I was the consul in Guangzhou.
1: Right. It's amazing. Did, did you get the, the red plate on your car?
4: Yes, I did. You now, you and I had the red and, passport, too. And, <laughs> and, Ooh. What is I that? know, it's fancy. Does that plate give you had to go to a, a special, special? Well, yeah, it did. It, but mostly it meant that you got pulled over a lot. Really? <laughs> and also with the diplomatic passport, it was always kind of embarrassing because there'd be a big line and you'd have to go to the special diplomat line and I would always get yelled at and wow. you're but in the wrong line and then you have to hold it up and, and like 500 people look at you going yeah oh what an <laughs> anyways yes
2: what, but do you get immunity is that is that actually a thing uh, as well? consular
4: immunity is a bit different than diplomatic immunity you committed i console, a lot of crimes. <laughs> crime. <laughs> you you yeah you you uh were able to do things but what would you do i do mean you, it uh, doesn't make
2: any double <laughs> sense double park
4: do you, yeah do you <laughs> obey the speed limit or no uh, it was China and it was <laughs> Vietnam, so there would be a lot of, uh, you know, in, in actually in Hanoi, when I first started going to the embassy, I'd ride my bike like everybody did in those days. It was a bicycle city. And I remember... The cops would hide behind the post, and if it was a, if you read through a, if you rode through a red light, they would step out and smack you in the back. And it was like such an amazing way to wake up in the morning, like six thirty in the morning. And of course, they would target the foreigners. But that was it. They that was like double. Oh yeah, it was total corporal punishment. It was like, bam. That's, it, there's no tickets, right? So, yeah. anyways, oh, that's, that, that's what I got. So thank
1: you. That's hilarious. And, and Adrian, <laughs> yeah, good luck beating <laughs> up, Adrian. I can't, I can't. Right. I well, I arm. live in Yale <laughs> That's right, yeah. Really boring compared to that.
5: Uh Geez, I mean, sometimes I still write that Five Kids, One Condo blog um, right. that I think I was on
2: just yeah. a
1: few years ago. That
2: was, I was probably... That was a huge
1: blog, especially in Vancouver, as everything was transitioning into condo life for for most of
5: us. That's where I was first called a uh, shill for the real estate industry, I think. Right, right. (laughs) But uh, let's see. Um, I co-founded Abundant Housing Vancouver and Abundant Transit BC. Uh, I am the spokesperson for BC Rental Project, uh, which is a group that advocates for uh, rental housing policy changes at the provincial and municipal level. And, of course, I have five kids, and uh, I think... Uh, some people might remember the uh, whole kids on the bus sort of case where the Ministry of Children and Family Development here in BC had waded in in uh, spring of 2017 and said that I couldn't let my kids take the bus uh, on their own to and from their school um, or be left alone anywhere, anytime, actually, for that matter, until they were uh, ages 10 and over. Um, so we took that to court. We raised a bunch of money and took that to court. And uh, and we're still fighting that, actually. We're in appeals now um, this spring. So.
2: Wow, when and you're so you're going to the Supreme Court of Canada. you're appealing it no, this
5: a, the next step is the BC Court of Appeals, which is okay. the highest court a, a, in BC and
1: that's a three judge panel. What's been the reaction to that uh, to that case? like have, mm-hmm. you, have you heard from a lot of people? Uh, hundreds yeah, yeah. I mean, it's been but has anyone crazy.
2: agreed with with the other side? <laughs> I feel like you're so clearly you're so clearly on the right side of history because you're you're the story, if anyone doesn't know it is, your kids had been riding the bus for a long time with you. They had cell phones. They were they were fully prepared. The youngest was what seven or eight?
5: Yeah. So at the time of this, they were ten, nine. The o- the oldest four were taking the bus. They were ten, nine, eight, and six. I think.
2: And yeah. but and somebody saw them riding the bus together and reported right. it. Right. And
5: who does that? Who does that? Exactly. And there was no incident or anything. Like there's never been a safety incident with the kids on the bus and their bus drivers are all hugely supportive and offered to write us letters of support. And even the ministry said that I had gone above and beyond what any parent could be expected to do to train their kids to take the bus. But uh, it was one of those things where the ministry has sort of an unwritten rule around age 10. And they uh, even the first time they visited me on this, uh, when they sort of first in- commenced their investigation, uh, they said 10 was the age, and they they pretty much hewed to that and stuck to that
2: throughout. So. That must have been, did they come to your house? This reminds yeah, me of yeah. Marriage Story. I don't know if oh, you guys have seen, seen it. That. Totally. <laughs> where, where, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was <laughs> You're hilarious. Like, and this is a normal way we eat dinner. Yeah. yeah.
5: Yeah, they did. I mean, they came to the house initially to talk to me, and then they talked to the kids at the school. It was you know, it's not a great process. Like as the ministry pointed out, even during our uh, trial back in September, when we first took them to court, like every parent lives in fear of the ministry giving them a call one day. And that's really the heart of this is that power imbalance that the ministry has to kind of essentially make you do things that uh, maybe they shouldn't be able to make you do. Right.
2: Well, good luck with that. Thanks. That's uh, (laughs) No, but I mean, honestly, it does seem like you're so clearly on the right side of history here that uh, I hope that it, works out in the way, the way that it should. Um, Maybe we, the reason we asked you guys on today is uh, you guys follow city politics pretty closely. You're also um, both very active and and both, I would say, ideas guys, right? You have a lot of ideas. Um, Maybe a a good way to get into what's going on in Vancouver and and some of the, the positives and negatives is You've run once, you've run twice for city council. Why Why did you guys run, Rob? Like, what, what was uh, What was the impetus? Um, well,
4: for me, uh, I have some good friends from Expo 86, so it goes back to those days. But we all live together. We all got apartments next door to each other. And uh, one of them is now the city engineer, Lon Leclerc. And the other one is George Affleck, who is... They were both really good friends of mine. So we all bought together. We all lived together in this complex. We all... Are excited about the city. We all want to do something. And for it's George like and I, it was, it was really uh, <laughs> George and I was really a toss-up, like who was going to run first. And so he ran first in uh, 2011, and uh, I helped him with the campaign. Uh, and he got in right away, so we weren't expecting that. And he actually got elected. And he ran. He was on city council for two terms. So I helped him with that uh, in that time. And I certainly saw the upside and the downside to it by helping him, And I decided I would throw my hat in the ring as well.
1: Just just thinking, though, you guys are all, you're, you're, you're young men. What You're excited about the city. Yeah. What, like, what was going on in the city that, like, wh- oh, where did this interest
4: The whole idea of, like, living like, downtown, the dynamic nature of living yeah. downtown. We were some of the first people that lived in Yaletown. So that was in, well, it was in 2000. We bought our place in 1997, all of us, in a row. Um, and we were moving in on January 1st, 2000. So... That was really exciting for all of us. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And and did you see when you when you actually put your your hat in the ring in twenty fourteen, which is a which is a pretty uh, what, it takes a, a, a some courage for sure. I would I would guess at least if from my perspective, um, putting yourself out there like that, like was there was there a, a few issues that you saw that you were like, okay, this is why I want to get involved. Like the, or was it more like, hey, I can I can do this as well as anyone. I else. mean, you have
4: to have the core issues. You know, you got to have the brand, and you have to have the, the issue that's tied to your name. And for me, it was definitely I was interested in housing, but in transportation as well. So those those two were really key for me. But um, uh, that that was what drove me in my campaign.
2: Right. Yeah. And Adrian, I think we know you from uh, uh, abundant housing and things like that. Um, why did you decide to run? Mm-hmm. Good question.
5: Uh, <laughs> I mean, I had started getting into city things with, uh, you know, with my blog. That sort of led led me to meet the people that we started, you know, abundant housing and then abundant transit with. And you wind up uh, just in a lot of sort of uh, municipal and just to a lesser extent provis- provincial government circles. You you know, you are meeting with and talking to people um, of inf- inf- influence, and it occurs that to you that maybe this is another way to affect change. Um, I'm constantly torn as to whether it's better to try to affect change from within or without Uh, everything I'm doing these days is obviously without, I didn't get elected. Um, And in some ways that's slightly more, well, maybe I'm just rationalizing post losing, but in some ways that's more More uh, gratifying. (laughs) I don't know about effective, but more gratifying because like you, you, You can set your own pace, uh, you can try things, you can move quickly, um, you can agitate in ways that you can't really do from within, where it's more about just kind of working to build consensus very, very, very slowly. Um, So I'm always back and forth on on whether or not I do it again
2: interesting so we just had we were talking before we went live Like we just had Gil Kelly on the show and uh, what came from that is you know we, we were talking to him about the city plan and and how Vancouver's really at a crossroads right now is was his point and we have to make some some big and uh, bold decisions I guess moving forward but from your guys perspective are we at a crossroads and And what is what is the city getting right, and what is the city getting wrong right now? Before we get into specific councilors, that's the rest of the show. That really is the
5: entire. That's like another forty-five minutes. Yeah. Uh, Well, I mean, in uh, in fairness to Gill, like we've sort of been at a crossroads for years now. I would say, and we've been at a you know more like a stalemate for even longer um, when it comes to major reforms, like what I part of what I ran on and what you saw one city. Run on was um, opening up every neighborhood for everyone. I think was the one city tagline, which is basically just getting rid of detached zoning as a, the you know the zoning form that dominates seventy plus percent of our land use here in Vancouver residentially so that to me should have been. I mean, we've already seen that happen in uh, Oregon. Oregon had a statewide bill that uh, had mandatory minimum zoning for cities over twenty-five thousand. We've seen uh, Scott Weiner in California be trying to do that now for years with uh, SB eight twenty-seven and most recently SB fifty that was uh, sort of shot down, unfortunately. But essentially, just you know that those bills were uh, upzoning around transit and job-rich neighborhoods. I think Washington State is now looking at mandatory uh, minimum zoning. So part of what I've been doing lately is trying to appeal to the province to look at that. I don't think the province has the guts to do anything about it, unfortunately. Um, but uh, but yeah, we've got a lot of long overdue land use reforms in this city that uh, hopefully city plan brings us. But I'm not overly optimistic, especially since the outcome of city plan is not actually any prescriptive zoning changes, uh, according to what we've heard. I, I think the problem with
4: city plan is that it means it's... It means something to everyone and it means nothing it's to like no anyone. Incredible. Right? Like, yeah. yeah, exactly. So
2: I can get behind that. As, as a, as a <laughs> concept, it it's fantastic to a yeah, lot of people, yeah. but
4: it really, now that the rubber is hitting the road, it's, we're kind of seeing what they mean by city plan. And there are some concerns with it. We've always had neighborhood plans. One by one in the pipeline, and we've you know the West End plan was done a couple years ago, the Marpole plan, the Kensington plan, the Downtown Eastside plan, yeah, the Grandview Woodland plan. Um, They're they're huge. They take a lot of work and millions of millions of dollars each and a lot of community buy-in yeah. and participation. And those are always in the pipeline. So there's always two underway. We've stopped all those now, and we're doing this city plan. So we've stopped all that. Um, and let's mention, too, that most of the development in the city has happened in the four neighborhood plans that that were, were finished. So we're not doing any more. There's none in the pipeline. We're doing this city plan. Nobody knows what it means. And if we look at... Probably the best example, I think, is looking back at the um, um, community center issue, which was we had 22 community centers all over the all over the city. The Vision Vancouver, the party at the time, decided they would come up with sort of a unified plan for them. Every neighborhood was up in arms. And it was very, very divisive, if you remember. That kind of led to the end of Penny Bellum's reign in, in, in City Hall as the city manager. So if we look at that model, I, I, I don't think... It bodes well for the city plan, either for the same reason. There are very different neighborhoods. It's going to be really difficult to get them all online and in line and uh, paddling the
5: same direction in the same boat. And yeah. I just, the more I think about this, the more I think it shouldn't be an issue left to individual municipalities, especially when you have the province with sort of critical infrastructure pr- uh, projects providing 40% of the funding it should be the province that wades in and says, hey, Port Moody, for instance, who, you know, you've got a West Coast Express station, you've got two SkyTrain stations, stop dicking around. Yeah. You can't, I, We're you know, I don't care what you think you should use your downtown area for. It has to be at least this much used for jobs and, and you know, residential uses because we've invested billions or, you know, hundreds of millions or whatever it is there. Um, that, you know, that has to happen at that level. Otherwise, we get sort of, NIMBY councils like you see in West Van or District of North Vancouver or Port Moody that can sort of, quite frankly, pander to, um, like, people of my parents' cohort that are comfortably Uh housed and uh, just, you know, using their house as an ATM at this point in life and don't really need their neighborhood changing any further.
1: Right. Part of part of the uh, part of uh, our conversation with Gil Kelly surrounded this kind of this cohesive identity that that the city should have. Like, who are we as a as a municipality in the city of Vancouver? Um, and it kind of seems like that process is a bit of a, a soul searching one of trying to figure out. And that's I think what uh, how we how he framed it as kind of at the crossroads of like we don't know what we are as a city. Do you guys do you do you feel like there's value there in 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 that process, or do you think it's even a necessary process for the city to to explore?
4: I just worry that it's going to be a lot of virtue signaling and kind of. Of course, mm-hmm. everyone's going to agree we want to be a cohesive, mm-hmm. welcoming city Inclusive. and all that yeah. stuff. <laughs> what does it mean? Does it mean we have to have apartments right next to, yeah. you know, our homes or whatever? It's it's uh, it depends. Once we drill down to what that actually means,
5: practically, yeah. yeah. Uh, It just feels like we've done these kind of exercises a lot in the past. That level of abstraction isn't what's needed at this point. Like... I was thinking the other day, and this is like really gross, is, is, is sort of just more like a like a thought exercise. But if you've got a street in your town that's named Broadway, perhaps you should have built up to 50 stories on that. And if you have one that's named Commercial, <laughs> perhaps 25 stories. And if they intersect, now add the two. Now you've got 75 stories. That should be our city plan. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, they we're arguing over like 20 or 30 stories at Broadway and Commercial, one of mm. the busiest transit hubs in well, in the all Province of Canada, yeah, mm-hmm. really. Uh, it just speaks to how provincial and I mean that, in the pejorative sense, a lot of our municipal thinking is these days mm-hmm.
2: right yeah, I mean it is you, you know Gil is a persuasive guy, mm-hmm. um, but it does seem like uh you know we've had basically we've been in crisis here for pretty coming on a decade um. And the city plan is, like, in theory, seems like a very kind of interesting thing to kind of hit pause and spend a couple years uh, throwing ideas, tossing (laughs) ideas about. And and generating a feedback loop, right? Right. Which is a big part of it. Which I think they're actually having trouble getting a lot of that feedback, as I understand. For sure. uh, Because, you know, people are busy and... And they've been burned too many
5: times with the neighborhood. Yeah.
4: Yeah. And, and
1: sometimes the people that speak up are the people that. What's well, the loudest voice? Yeah. Right? yeah. It's yeah. the same
5: voices every time. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. And I don't know, we, we are already, already sort of. By default, doing a great job of hitting pause. <laughs> you know, like we, I think, what did we hit? Maybe half of our rental housing targets last yeah, year in terms right. of approval. So right. it's pretty darn paused. I think what was in 2018, we built something like 1,300 rental units in Seattle, built 17,000 or uh-huh. something like that. So we are thoroughly in, you know, park right now in terms <laughs> yeah. of
2: gears. Why, and why do you guys think like, in a city that so clearly needs more housing, um, like where you see places like Seattle, you just mentioned, where they're—I mean, it's a, a larger center, I guess—but but why are they so much? Why are we so bad? And as, as specifically, I know you—you we can point to other uh, municipalities, but the city of Vancouver seems not great at um, at getting stuff built or even getting those applications passed, right? And I—I I would guess you were involved in the. The Larch, uh, the the Larch apartments. You're Broadway probably, and Larch, yeah. yeah, Broadway and Larch, and yeah. and others as well. Like, what what is it? What's specific to Vancouver that makes us particularly bad at building?
4: I mean personally i think it's leadership and the lack of leadership this is political capital that you need to ex- expand right to 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 achieve that sort of level of density and there's just no willingness to use the, the political capital of the politicians that are in the city right now to, mm-hmm. on that purpose there mm-hmm. there we have five different parties in in city council let's have 10 councilors and one independent mayor like there's no cohesive leadership there everybody's trying to prove themselves trying to feedback to their own party apparatus to ensure that they're all keen and still hyped up on whatever issues they have, which is not housing. And well, it's sorry, we talk about homelessness and housing, of course, being important and affordability, but nobody is willing to approve what needs to be approved, which is higher density and allowable build in certain areas that that obviously should
5: have it. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of it is sort of um, the worse economics of rental versus condo. Uh, I think part of the distortion in the Seattle market is that there there is a large, or there was until recently, a lot of potential liability in building condo. I think you were right. on the hook for, sure. yeah, exactly, things down the line. I think they've addressed that now. Um, but, you know, also here... It's seven years to go from uh, sort of pre-application inquiry to a finished uh, rental housing development. And a huge chunk of that is uh, something like pre-application inquiry, which is like a year or something of that process. You know, why are we forcing rental housing to go through the same hoops that condo goes through when the economics are already worse? It's harder for them to secure money, to borrow money. It's... You know, condo can just kick off once they've got a certain amount of pre-sales. There's not the same kind of thing with rental. Mm-hmm. It's a tough business to be in for rental housing operators. It's not the same kind of margins as condo. So if we want to incentivize that, we really have to put our whole hand on the scale and not just a finger. And sure. and, and to Rob's point, there just is not the uh, will to drop the political capital on, you know, with a stroke of a pen, getting rid of some of these uh, sort of artificial drags on the rental housing uh, providers.
2: Mm-hmm. If if there's not the political will at this point, <laughs> uh, does it ex- is it possible for it to exist? It seems like we're at a point now where, um, like, what is it going to take, right? Because we're in a, a situation in, in which, um, you know, the market's fairly distorted across the board, I would say. Uh, and it seems like it's going to remain that way. And it's very difficult for a lot of people to live in this city day to day. And it does feel like, you know, certain communities are being hollowed out. Like, at what point do you think that this this scale is going to tip? Crystal ball time, I guess. (sighs) That's a really
5: good question, because like you said, it feels like it's been about 10 years of this. um, And we see, you know, the latest issue is obviously that it's been in the news recently is all the um, school catchment stuff, which obviously is a provincial issue. Right. Um, but just how out of sync we've been here with the province in you know, our emphasis on encouraging urban living, like Rob saying, you know, moving into Yale town, as mm-hmm. I think you were mentioned, you were one of the first settlers of Yale town. I didn't say settler, <laughs> but okay. <laughs> That's terrible. How gauche. Uh, <laughs> in any case, uh, yeah, like I bought into that and I've bought into it throughout my life. It's not the first time I've lived in Yale town now. And, um. So, I, you know, th- th- this hasn't snuck up on us. Like, we've been aware of what we're doing as a municipality, and the province has been aware of it, too, forever. And yet we still have massive systemic issues that prevent growth. Uh, so schools being one of them, and obviously the approval of rental housing, which is, you know, immune to speculation and generally more tied to local wages than condo development would be. So we, you would think everyone could, could agree that we need to accelerate the construction of rental housing, but we cannot, apparently.
2: And the city, and the just to be clear, the school issue is is it's the Crosstown School, right? The new school that was built. This is what spurred it's on the- The lack the, of
5: Olympic Village as yeah. a school, elementary school, the lack of Coal Harbor. As I mean, these are communities. Coal yep. Harbor, I mean, how long has Coal Harbor been around now? Mm-hmm. 20 mm-hmm. plus years? 20 years. Yeah. Olympic Village, maybe a little less,
4: but- um, Anything north of 16th, really, is there's an issue with schooling. Right. South mm-hmm. of 16th, not a problem. Yeah. Right. those um, schools are empty or emptying out. Right, yeah. But north of 16th, it's it's a huge problem in terms of schooling.
5: The schools were really just sprinkled around in a pattern that would re- serve like a largely suburban density. And then, of course, when you get into urban densities like this, they can't take up the capacity of the people that live there anymore, not even close. There are more elementary students and kindergarten and elementary students on a wait list now than there are actually enrolled. So we're way out of scale
2: for the in terms of solutions. Hmm. that making you nervous? He just had a baby.
1: Whoops. Yeah. <laughs> Off to we the We got suburbs. five years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um I'm I'm curious because uh Adrian, you, you do a lot on the on the rental housing side as well and you're an advocate like you said. Can you talk about maybe like some of the some of the things that your group is advocating in terms of rents? Like do, are you in support of rent control mm-hmm. and how does that connect to to incentives for developers to build rental housing and and maybe talk a little bit about that?
5: Yeah, no, I mean I can I don't really speak for Abundant Housing anymore. I'm not a director there. I resigned that position when I was running for City Council uh, for obvious reasons. I still do. I'm involved in helping them out here and there. Uh, but I know they have this uh, same position that we do at BC Rental Project, which is that we are not in support of rent control. There are numerous uh, sort of economic studies that show that rent control is bad for uh, housing supply, rental housing supply. So right. it seems counterintuitive. I'm a renter myself. I would love lower rents. Um, but I want more uh, choices in terms of rental stock, more more than that. I want to be able to make my landlord sweat because I could move next door if I wanted to if things got really bad. You know, totally. like yeah. You go down to Seattle and there are, there are va- rental vacancy signs out front of buildings, like I can think of one building, that new Peter Wall development right mm-hmm. on the same block you live on, actually, mm-hmm. that has had a vacancy sign out um, in this town. And I don't think I can think of any others. The one at corner of uh,
1: Drake and Richards. Richards, that's yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. They, really, they have vacancy? Yes. Yeah, And I mean, that, I guess, is always the concern because we've uh, – certain developers in the city have identified that they'll be building – Kind of more luxury rental housing, kind of
3: targeting. I was going to say those rents are, are high, though, right? Yeah, that's yeah. and that's what that makes me think. But this is
5: but this is another thing, and this is a, pro- a trap we get into a lot. Like, if you look at actually the demographics of Grandview Woodland over the last like two three decades, um, they've shifted dramatically from it being a low income community to it being like a better income, you know, mm-hmm. middle income or or higher income community, and they haven't built anything, and so you get um, you get Displacement, whether you build or not, actually you get more of it if you don 't build because those people that come into town and start working for Amazon, they need to live somewhere and they, if they can afford a luxury rental apartment, they can live there if they can 't afford that they 're going to go into you know third and woodland and rent mm-hmm. an apartment there and that person that was in their apartment before is going even further out so right. that's I, yeah i mean, that 's generally why I support rental housing supply even if it 's at the higher end of the market because the fact that the economics are that you cannot without a huge subsidy from some level of government build, you can't build below market housing out of the box. So mm-hmm. it will necessarily be sort of more expensive than older housing stock. I mean, a new car is more expensive than an old one. Uh, it doesn't mean you don't need it. You do need that, uh, right. that new housing stock entering the market at some point, and then it can, you know, work its way down as it ages.
2: Right. And, and even, uh, I'm just thinking if there's one, like that Peter Wall, everyone knows that building because Mm -hmm. there hasn't been a new rental building built downtown in a long time, right? So it's uh, like if there's one building being built, like of course it's going to be a a luxury high-end building because it just makes sense, right? From like the economics of it. But if you're building, uh, building throughout uh, the city, presumably, um, yeah, the newer it's gonna factor through the market as it ages for sure, but then there's there's gonna be different gradations of new construction, uh, geared towards different price points and different different needs, right? Yep. Like it just makes sense. But the fact that there's none being built, I guess, like it's not a surprise that it's all ultra luxury twenty seven hundred for a one bed or whatever uh-huh. that you know, I don't know what those rents are,
1: but I think they're
2: I think it's a bit less than that it's got to be
1: 2300 yeah. anyways or pretty but close to that.
2: We should keep
4: in mind that's 54 story building that was purpose built rental and is, you know, almost 400 units that came out to the market just like that right next totally just down from it is another one that just came on right level and yeah. Carlson and and Charles the same being, time. Yeah, and Charles being a luxury,
1: luxury condos luxury. where a lot of you, there's just a lot of floors that are just one unit. Right this exact opposite.
5: yeah, yeah. on the other corner, yeah. very right? It's very oh. different product, right? There was also the Sharing Aquilini development. That was a rental Oh, right? Building, at
2: right? Uh, close to the Crosstown School, Expo, actually, right? Yeah, yeah, Expo.
5: And I don't know what the yeah. cross street is there, right between the two arenas or whatever. Right. But I know when the Aquilini building came on and the wall building, and I'm forgetting a third, sort of within the same time frame, there was some speculation that the mm-hmm. area rents had sort of declined marginally. It's very hard to track these things. Usually you get kind of bad metrics using pad or craigslist or something which are very hard to filter out right. crappy data but it did feel like there was a temporary loosening of uh of um rental prices at least i check craigslist for rentals pretty much every week even though we've been in the same place for about seven and a half years <laughs> but you kind of want to be prepared to be thrown out at any time yeah, so right yeah. <laughs> Ouch.
1: what what about um i'm just thinking of all we talk we talk all the time just about the policies that have been put in put into place speculation tax empty homes tax the city kind of cracking down on airbnb how do you have these policies been effective in your opinion for the rental market <sighs> hmm.
5: it's very hard to measure uh the airbnb stuff maybe marginally um i don't think you know any one of these things is not a silver bullet uh so I don't. Well, I don't think they're sort of damaging. Um, I don't. I don't put much hope in any of them sort of dramatically changing the fortunes. Uh, I don't know the numbers too much on the empty homes tax. I don't know if you've been following that.
4: Uh, it's it's a lot less effective than we hoped it would be. That's my takeaway from it. But I mean, you're looking at a purpose built rental policy, right? That's really what you want to push yep. is mm-hmm. just purpose built rental. Yep.
5: Yeah, mm. I mean, to whatever extent we can return private. Uh, units to the rental market. That's great. I'm in a private unit right now. Like some my landlord is, you know, some guy that's run through a property management company. Uh, So uh, that's great. uh, Because like I said, I've lived there now for seven and a half years with my kids. Which is really atypical for this market, but i what I want for more people in this market, and maybe including myself one day is uh, secured rental like purpose built rental basically so yeah. you're if you pay the bills you're you will not get whatever rent evicted, whatever you want to call it oh, and that 's yeah, that 's just right now the reality a lot of people live in, especially in like basement suites and a lot of these sort of uh, when you know boutique landlords, if you will, <laughs>
1: well, we we've honestly. Uh, I, was, I was just having a conversation with a, f- a friend of uh, a friend of ours last week who has been now. Uh, her condo was just sold, where she had to leave because an an owner, occupier, or yep. end user bought it, and she moved into a new condo and was informed almost immediately. She took over a sublease so informed almost immediately that they were selling. Mm-hmm. Um and I guess she didn't have a full uh, lease agreement in place with the landlord because she took over from a friend of hers who was renting. It was all in the up and up, but she's getting removed. Oh. And it, it's it's the cost of I mean the cost to the tenant is is huge, right? And when you start thinking, yeah, about both financially just, and, and
2: psychologically and energy and, and uh, <laughs> everything, right? Yeah. Taking
1: time yeah. off work to to be to move to make, meeting all the dates and everything else, transferring your tells, hanging around for say your internet provider to even
5: well, share. and and then on a in a similar vein, what is becoming more and more of a problem is, and I, you know, I'm in favor of tenant relocation policies, like at a municipal level, having some good um, guidelines in place for what happens when you've got to sort of update or uh, renovate like a uh, rental property. But what's happening now is, you know, if you're giving somebody six months of, you know, rent to go find some other place, they can't find some other place or mm-hmm. six months is not enough. Or um, So, you know, we're sort of we're downloading these costs of not building enough back onto the very same developers. Whereas if we had a healthy, you know, three to 5% rental vacancy rate, maybe that tenant relocation policy doesn't have to be so, so onerous, so costly, because it's more expected that you could find a place, you know, a few blocks away from where you live currently.
1: And I I know you have a really nuanced uh, perspective of what needs to change, but in a lot of ways we have to build it, right? I mean, that's the, that's,
5: yeah, there's there's a lot of there's this appetite in town to kind of find some bogeyman, like it's yeah. it's foreign money or uh-huh. it's money laundering or it's a bunch of empty homes. Uh, and there's a there's been this search for a scapegoat for years. And I don't mind doing things as long as they're not racist or xenophobic around things like foreign money or whatever. Like which is always a hole we kind of go down. It feels like as a city, um, I don't mind trying things like the empty homes tax or or Airbnb regulations. Uh, Because they're probably part of, at least right now, uh, an unhealthy rental market. It's probably part of solving it. Um, But the bottom line is you need to have homes. And we don't build enough homes. And uh, thousands and thousands of people come here every year. And last year, we approved about 1,000 new rental homes that won't even come online for five or six years. So we're way, way behind the curve on the problem. And we're just, every day, many people are just being forced to move further and further out. And we're building office space downtown it's literally set to house thousands of new workers, like the Amazon <laughs> yeah. building, and you know there've been some beautiful renders of you know proposed office Shopify, buildings. You know, yeah. Rest, yeah, yeah, Shopify. Um, but no, it seems like nobody is asking at the municipal leadership level where these people are going to live, and the sad fact is they will just force people, even like me, that don't earn as much as them, right out of the city because they can outcompete us
2: for rents. So, the interesting thing about this is, is I felt like the last. Uh, and at least my impression was this was like a, a uh, one of the major cruxes of the last election right uh-huh. like housing was a, it was fairly central for sure um, and yet Rob when we when you were talking earlier like okay so what what was the result of that well we have a council a very diverse council with little to no cohesion right, right. and and not the political capital or political will to do anything like how? Being in the trenches during that uh, election, like how do we end up with with uh, such a diverse? I feel like the city uh, the city council's like the Democratic uh, Party's <laughs> candidates here in the U.S. like <laughs> right. splintering into just. Uh, the, you know randomness um how did how did that happen i think there was a couple of factors
4: i mean the the sort of implosion of vision vancouver and its after effect vision vancouver is a very effective it was so different when it came in compared to MPA and COPE, right? So Vision came in with this big model of cohesive sort of a party system at the civic level. That never happened with the MPA. I mean, with the MPA, you used to have counselors yelling at each other from the same party. Vision, they they moved in lockstep. Yeah. Um, they had a really strong housing policy, sort of a increasing density, doing all these things uh, with developers, essentially very pro-developer, in fact, um, but um, having sort of a green face to it and putting in bike lanes. So it was like, Oh, don't look at this. I'll look over here. Right. So, uh, they were able to do that. The implosion of them and that sort of, uh, party discipline system. Uh, this is, I think what we're paying for that in combination with the fact that, uh, um, you can't, uh, the whole, um, funding and, uh, political corporate donations, union donations being banned from, uh, at city level. Um, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's very complicated to run a city campaign, to run for a civic election. You, it's like, so it's what, five federal ridings? It's eight provincial ridings? You have to cover the whole city as a candidate. It's an at-large system. So as a candidate, you have to go out there and meet with 500,000, 600,000 people, right? It's, it's really hard. And you're not going to get the same quality of people running. That you would at the provincial or federal level because you don't have the professional help that you would get. So it's a combination of those two factors, I think, mm-hmm. l- leads to this, which is where we are with five different parties amongst <laughs> ten councillors. It's just you know, uh, and and uh, there it's this is a wisdom of the voters, right? I mean. Does that sound too bitter? But it's it's (laughs) the wisdom of the voters. It's what the voters were looking at. They're confused out there anyways. They want homelessness solved. They want housing solved, but they're not completely enamored with developers and developers looking at the industry either. So I think that sort of confusion is what we see reflected in council today.
2: Right. Interesting. It makes me think we had uh, Gordon Price on a long time ago now. Uh, Almost a year ago, probably. But a Mm -hmm. crisis of confidence with... With the development community, is there's a crisis of confidence yes. there um, that he was outlining as, as a huge challenge, right. um, for sure for for the city of Vancouver right now. If you guys had to grade the current council. And then we'll go through member by member. <laughs> no, no, no. sure. <laughs> Gene Swanson. Yeah. Mm, no, no. But it, so, so they. It sounds like they. There's a big challenge, right? There, there's uh, five different parties, many competing voices, a challenging uh, situation in the city at large. Um, how are they doing? I, I
1: would like to do the great thing after the <laughs> yeah, show though. Yeah, yeah, you guys yeah, can yeah. hang Once, around for that.
4: <laughs> well, it's interesting you mentioned Jean sponsor because in so many ways she, she typifies what's happening, I think, which yeah. is she was an activist. She, she, they, they had a siege like one year before they took over council. They scared all the council away. Council had to, had to sit in a different place in the city, right? The police right. were overwhelmed. Uh, she sat in the council chambers and as housing activists, homelessness activists, they took over the chambers for almost a day. So, all of a sudden she's elected and she has to transition from being an activist and an advocate to being someone who has to be a bit pragmatic and she obviously you can see that she's really struggling with that pragmatism you mean that pragmatism shifting from sort of orthodox thinking to pragmatism and and i don't think she's struggling i don't (laughs) (laughs) maybe Maybe she's she's nailing it but (laughs) but, but to be clear right she's
2: voted down every single rental project she's voted because they're not perfect yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah. they're good well because
4: she's
5: really the people she believes she represents are the people that earn less than thirty thousand dollars which is absolutely fantastic obviously those people need homes and they prop- need more than anyone in right? this city sure. and they need a representative the problem is as i mentioned earlier you can't build anything new that serves that without without that, that um you know market segment without huge provincial or municipal or federal or whatever it is um supplements like a you know a subsidization rather mm-hmm. so uh so it's it's a foregone conclusion that no matter how affordable, you know, developers can rental housing developers can uh, achieve some cross subsidy within a within a new housing plan by having the, you know, pricing the top floors a little bit more expensive so the bottom floors can be a little less expensive and so on. But you can't get down to like shelter rate, like $375 a month prices on yeah. new construction. so Which is the only thing she'll accept. Right? Only thing she'll accept, yeah. yeah, exactly. And the only thing she'll vote for. Yeah, I mean, fortunately she's just one person, and so therefore largely irrelevant um, you know, in the, in the council voting scheme, but it is very frustrating to see that vote essentially wasted. It's a protest vote over and over and over again.
4: And her colleague in council, really... Colleen Hardwick, like they seem to vote together a lot, which is completely odd because they're at very opposite ends of the political spectrum. But Colleen also finds things to be troubling because they're not completely perfect either, right? Or she's like the idea of
2: rental housing just not here. Yeah, that's (laughs) not the way this looks across the street. That's four stories. My God,
5: four stories. There is a fantastic slide. I did a little talk with Sonia Trauss, who she's the the grandmother of the Yes in My Backyard movement out of San Francisco. Her and I spoke over in Victoria last fall, and she has a slide in one of her presentations that is from a little study that was done that basically asked people hypothetically if they would support this new rental housing development that was coming. And they asked based on if it was, you know, would you support it if it was a few kilometers away, a kilometer away, like a few hundred meters away. And you can very clearly chart like how support erodes the closer and closer this hypothetical development gets to the person being asked and it's even more of a drop off if if that hypothetical development has any below market component to it whatsoever you don't want those people anywhere near you (laughs) so I mean it just undermines to me the you know nine-tenths of the NIMBY argument in the city it is very much a not in my backyard kind of sentiment that prevents us from moving forward Mm -hmm. Tom Davidoff just uh,
1: released a paper called not in my neighbor's backyard about laneway homes (laughs) 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 that's great (laughs) Um, well, we've got through two council members. <laughs>
4: yeah, I know. I know. Well, well yeah, this but is th- fun th- those two are exceptional yeah. because, yeah. again, they'll probably get reelected because they have a name, yeah. they have a constituency, and sure. they're representing their brand really well. Yeah. The, other, the other eight are quite moderate, and they're trying to be centrist, and they're trying to be pragmatic and level-headed that's going to work against them when they come up against 70 people running against them
2: that's the incredible part of this right is that actually trying to get stuff done put your head down do the work uh yes you get politically doesn't get you noticed yeah. yeah
5: well and i wonder like you've got an mpa mpa is for i'm sure everyone knows but it's like vancouver's oldest civic party i think they're a little over 80 years old now um and they're probably the best brand now that Vision's gone, I guess, still in the game. And they have five, five now? No, four, five council members because Rebecca's not with them Rebecca's anymore. not with them, so they just so have four. Four city council members. Um, but their board recently took a bit of a turn to their right when they had their AGM back in December. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it remains to be seen what the, their you know, three or two and a bit years from now when they put together their next slate, um, how that looks, because obviously they already had one, mm-hmm. Uh, council person leave uh, because she didn't agree with the politics of the board. Um, But the other more interesting thing is, you know, we've got a a homelessness and an opioid crisis here. Uh, You know, if you've got a far right party that maybe takes a tough on crime approach, I worry about that doing well in a city like this, Uh, you know, because you do have a lot of people that will, you know, you see this even down South where they'll tell you one thing and then vote a different way when they're alone in the booth. Um, there are a lot of people, especially when we were on the campaign trail la- a couple years ago, now almost a couple years ago, that you there was a lot of visceral anger in neighborhoods like Crosstown and uh, Chinatown, Downtown East Side, around the city, uh, just sort of not really getting it right, I guess, charitably, right. but you know, ignoring them, probably less charitably. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of your inter- interpretation of what the city's doing. So I worry that that dynamic has a couple years to fester and, and some, a group like the MPA could, could run on that. To mm-hmm. some extent, you saw yeah, Wei could. Young try to do it. I mean, in the, 2018. Uh, for me, the right. issue
4: with the board and the and the caucus, the elected officials, is not that's yeah. There's pretty much a firewall there, as far as I'm concerned. But they don't really impact on how the decisions are made mm-hmm. by the councillors. However, they do ha- select who's going to run next time. <laughs> so that 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 <laughs> yeah. will impact it. Yeah, for sure. And though. you saw,
5: I mean, they they hard selected last time around. They were yep. like, no, thank you, Hector. Not me. No. not <laughs> you. Not, not me. Not you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I remember. I mean, Greg Baker was like replying to me and journalists saying, like, he's not running for us. You know, he was the party president. He's since been fired. <laughs> So, yes, the MPA does exercise some pretty extreme control over who runs for them.
4: Yeah, and that'll be interesting to see two years down the road how that will impact what their slate looks like. Because, quite frankly, the people that they do get elected are usually the more left or or centrist kind of people. That's who the voters want from the MPA. So we'll see who the MPA puts forward next time. Um, And the other party is the Green Party, right? So the Greens have three as well. Uh, The MPA have three. The Greens have three. And... uh, um, that's also a party that's a bit struggling because it's always been able to be the advocates and the activists and not really have to have leadership or show leadership in a pragmatic way. And this is why they're, I think, struggling between how they're going to enact policy within the city. Because you see different takes from Mike Weeb, from, from Pete Fry, from Adrian Carr. They're all very different people, and they're all very, they take very different approaches. They vote against each other. From time to time, more often probably than I would
5: uh, that, that, that I would think, um, but that's another party that's there. Mm-hmm. But the Green Party is full of contradictions. I think it was um, was it Pete Fry that was advocating on saving the hedges in that twenty one unit uh, townhouse development. So there was that yeah. twenty forty five seventy five Granville was twenty one rental townhouses um, that was proposed for one mansion lot, um, right? And one of the reasons that he had for turning it down is that the hedge would be uh, sort of taken out as part of that development. So there's, which we should
2: pause to think about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's just how
5: inherently weird and conflicted they are. Like you are literally advocating for green as the color, yeah, not green in terms of
2: green land use. It's bizarre. Uh, yeah. So so if uh, it sounds like you guys are, the verdict's still out on this council. Um, two years from now uh two questions would you would you run again uh do you think we'll have see more cohesion uh is this kind of a blip and we'll we'll get back to some sort of cohesive party and and is kennedy stewart still still the mayor well, cool. there's a lot of questions. Yeah, three. <laughs> you said two, and then he asked five. Yes, am right,
5: yeah. <laughs> add two more. Uh, well, I don't. I mean, I think I'd be interested in turning over why, like, 71 um, candidates ran for city council last time around for 10 city council uh, spots, and I mean, it's. Like at the time, it made sense to me why so many people were doing it. Now I can't remember why. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, you know, people saw it as a sort of a generational opportunity. There was a lot of turnover. So, hey, I'm going to do this. There's there also. There was no
4: incumbents, right? Running, yeah, really. right. Vision, decline of vision. So that would have. Yep.
5: Yeah. And then also, it's like a uh, hundred bucks deposit. So you get that back and 25 signatures to be able to run. I mean, like, we need to raise that. Right. Yeah, and
4: that is being discussed right now. Who is right? a yeah. counter-remember? Roller Girl? Yep.
1: Uh, yep. Oh, oh there's yeah. a lot of great ones. Watermelon. Yeah. Guitar. Yeah. Yep.
5: Yeah.
4: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Roller
1: girl. Roller girl. Yeah. yeah.
5: Yeah. I mean, there were two. How many uh, mayoral candidates? There was something like 10 a or 16? 15. Or- yeah. I can't remember. So
4: But 71 council candidates sir. Mm-hmm.
5: Yeah. Um. Yeah. So if the, if the field looks like it's going to shape up like that again, you need a brand behind you. Unfortunately, I think, it's not Vancouver like the only major Canadian city that has municipal parties? It
4: seems uh, like it, yeah. But yeah. you can see why, right? When and you, you can look can at the see ballot, why. you need a shorthand. Yeah. Voters need a shorthand when they see all those names.
1: It's overwhelming. Right? It, we were talking yeah. about that before we came on air, but it, it is crazy. It's, it is overwhelming. And I feel that's like the number we were one fairly...
2: Like I think we did podcasts on it before the election, and I still went in yeah. there and I was like,
1: Phew. "I'm no expert, but yeah." yeah those the no amount of names you're like, yeah, and I think I think also with people's attention spans these days, I mean, oh yeah, it's like it's a it's a tough way to vote, yeah, for sure,
4: yeah, low attention voters, right, low information voters. So yeah, and it, 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 one of the funniest events was I think the lottery for. Oh yes, the, it used to be alphabetical ballot, right? Oh, so they decided right, they would right. randomize it, it and it, stuff. Yeah. So they had this lottery, and everybody went there, and it was we were all it was just all candidates sitting yeah. in the council chambers, and they they, they, they Whoever put they everyone's pulled first name, was like, and then they pulled the name on the guy was screaming. It was Jason that, Lamarche. He right. goes, "I win! I win!" That's what he said. It was just <laughs> he's, he's since letters. left Vancouver. Eh? As oh, I, I didn't know that. I'm not sure. I where think he is. he's left
1: <laughs> Vancouver. I used to follow him <laughs> on. Uh, See, some some social media. Okay, well, I don't
5: think. Ultimately, I don't think any of that had any bearing. I was like super stoked that I got sixth out of seventy one. Yeah, Council with the idea being didn't matter. That most people would
2: just go and maybe you are just it's easier to yeah.
5: find. But I think it was a mess. Um, ultimately, like it, it, alphabetical for especially in the case when you have seventy one candidates is probably a pretty. You know, good way for you to immediately find the people you want to vote for if you've done any research beforehand. And instead, we scramble the whole thing for you. Like, yep. great. Yeah,
4: I know. Yeah, <laughs> so I don't think they'll do that again. They I, should I not. Think that was sort of that was a bad idea. Yeah. Staff report was indicating that, but there is a power to incumbency. So if all these ten are going to run again, there's yeah. that power to you. You're going to be battling that if
2: you're going to run. Right. So
4: that's that's a big challenge.
2: But it sounds like there's going. You think there's going to be fewer candidates next time around?
4: I don't think so. Not necessarily. It, it's it's awkward, right? Because you put yeah. your name in and you think oh there's only going to be 40 people and you don't find out until the list is put out like mm. uh, the weekend the weekend after <sighs> you everybody files and that's when you find out and you go oh crap
5: it's like yes, 71 yes. people. can i withdraw no, yeah it's i too mean late. we already like as independent <laughs> candidates there was actually a lot of really good buzz around independence last time uh in 2018 sure. and there was some that consenco poll that had independence at like you know, above Greens and like, you know, if independents were a party, we'd be laughing. Unfortunately, independents were about 47 people or something that they had to split right. votes between. So it just doesn't break down well. And uh, so, I, but I think we, you know, we still had our eyes pretty wide open. I mean, Rob is not new to this and I'm, you know, not either with a little less experience mm-hmm. than Rob, obviously. But um, but would we do it again? Uh, I mean, I won't speak for Rob. I would consider it, but you look at what's going on now. You've got like essentially 11 individuals in there, you know, 10 counselors plus the mayor that are putting forward their own, I don't want to call them pet motions, but like some of them literally are pet motions. I think Pete's aggressive dog policy is coming to. That's right. In any case. Yeah. So we're really tackling the tough issues. Um, you know, sink in our teeth. We can get more dog puns in here, <laughs> but uh, I, I think I'd be discouraged spending, you know, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday nights till ten or eleven because you're just slogging through a bunch of work of your own creation that yeah. isn't really moving the city forward. Uh, certainly not in the files that I feel are, you know, most needed, like housing and, and transportation. So, right. It's, right, We'll have to see how it shapes up in a couple of years. <laughs> yeah
4: it 's tough right it 's a big financial hit it 's yeah. a big family hit it 's a personal hit yeah. to just to run, yeah, and uh, certainly you have your eyes open about what your chances are, but um, I also think neither of us feel completely compelled to run, so it 's like you do it just to serve to be <laughs> mm-hmm. part of things, right to be involved and engaged,
5: and I think that 's why you do it so right. yeah, you do it if you yeah. think you can make a difference, and I think going back to the You know whether you choose inside or outside of the um, political realm to make a difference. I think it just comes down to what your motivations are and where you think you can make the most difference. And so far, I guess by default, I've been doing it outside of that system. So, you know, that's been gratifying. Right.
2: So it seems like we've talked uh, a bit about the city plan, not super optimistic by the sounds of things, uh, as far as I can tell uh, coming from you guys city council we're not super optimistic about where they are <laughs> oh are, are we we're, are you guys optimistic about uh, the city of vancouver say in the next 5 to 10 to 20 and beyond years here can we get our can we get our act together
5: Yes. <laughs> a lot of deep breaths, yeah. No, of course. Of uh, course we're optimistic.
4: I'm optimistic. Yeah. You have to be, right? People are going to keep coming here. We've created this fantastic city where everyone wants to live. Like, is that a bad thing? I yeah. mean, you know, the fact that people are attracted to come here and live here and work here and play here, it's like, it's, it's a fantastic place. And it will always be, I think. Yeah, well,
5: I think... Like we were talking about this as we walked in around the frame of the Olympics, whether or not I guess there's this idea that Vancouver gets the Olympics back in 2030 or at least makes a play to do that. Oh, right. Yeah. 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 And I hear a lot of people, I'll let Rob weigh in with his opinion, but I hear a lot of people ragging on this online, like this is a terrible idea. Um, But, you know, the Olympics brought us a lot of pretty great things. I mean, with a few bumps, it brought us Olympic Village. Obviously, the city had to jump in there and take over a a lot of that development. Um, But now it's a great example, minus an elementary school. And It also brought us the Canada line, you know, uh, so maybe we go and get the Olympics again and amortize some of these prior investments and build some new thing. maybe we upzone some great swaths of the city and build a skytrain all the way out to UBC like we should yeah. be doing the first time around, and mm-hmm. all sorts of you know other fantastic investments maybe that 's the way we shock the system into growing yeah. I, I obviously love Vancouver. I live right downtown i 've bought into that Vancouver dream. Um, I'm a little discouraged to see at the provincial level, uh, them not keeping pace with that they, um, you know, on the schools issue, they're just doing sort of seismic upgrades in Vancouver, not really new schools, they're saving new schools for outside of Vancouver, Uh, they released or they didn't really release it, they had a growth strategy drafted for the metro area that talked about forcing a lot of the growth out of Vancouver in terms of jobs and housing as a way of sort of, I don't know, dispersing growth or something like actively curtailing growth in the major downtown yeah, core,
2: which seems to be a policy from 40 to yeah. 50 years ago, right? They
5: were lauding course. San Jose and the Bay area for how that, I mean, that's Look a at the nightmare. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so some of the, I just, I don't get a great urbanist take from, um, well, really John Horgan's government at all. Um, so while they may be good partners for some projects they don't have a great um, city building vision. Um, so, hopefully we can get a council in here next time that actually has a majority and can make something happen.
4: I think that would be really important to the city is to get a majority for sure, even six of the ten councillors, you know mm-hmm. uh, yeah so yeah,
5: that- we were hopeful after this that like after that last election that you'd have some informal group band together, you know the right, I think and- that
2: was it was kind of the wait and see, right like something might cohere yeah uh-huh. yeah, exactly
5: it didn't happen. <laughs> Okay, sure. I mean, I mean, it's sort of a foregone conclusion. Like, even the Greens don't, re- or I mean, they didn't really caucus. Maybe they do now. No, MPA certainly doesn't have a caucus. Um, so, y- if you can't even agree within your own party, you're not going to suddenly, you know, build a bridge to another one. So, right, mm-hmm. right, yeah. yeah, definitely. Sorry,
2: yeah. And it's and And as I understand this, instead of instead of uh, lofty citywide plans, get six out of ten on council, plow through a couple community plans, get uh-huh. the work. And, uh, Mm -hmm. yeah,
5: Yeah, I mean that, you know, if I was encouraged when I came in here today and you were talking about having Gil on and how he was, I mean, I got to go and listen to that episode now. I'm going to go home and listen to it for sure about how he was sort of talking about big dreams and that, um, you know, it should be within, to some extent, his power to, to get some of that done or to lean on uh, mayor and council to try to to uh, to try to put something on the table that would get some of that done. I, um, I
4: think we are really lucky that we have Gil Kelly. Me too. Absolutely, like, yeah. And And Lon Leclerc is, of course, yeah. The, yeah. The, the city engineer. And and uh, Sadhu has really come around from the penny-ballant Day. So, you know, we do have really good people in those right. key positions, and yeah. I think we're really lucky because, especially with this lack of political cohesion or direction or leadership. Uh, we're going to rely on those people to keep us moving forward. And we do have, like, I have total confidence in that team, right? Mm-hmm. In the corporate management team at the city. So well, we're
5: fortunate about that. You're right. So Sadhu Johnston is the city manager for anyone who doesn't know. And, right. I, you know, when we were watching council for probably, like, really avidly, or at least when I was for the first year or so after not being elected, um, <laughs> Again, not it was Sadhu that... Kept that
2: group on the rails, quite yeah. frankly.
5: Like they were lost when it came to procedure, when it came
2: to what they could. do. Well, this is when Frances Beulah. We've had her on the show a couple of times, yeah. and she's, the, you know, it's like literally figuring out where the bathroom is. That's oh, like yeah. the first three months. Yeah, it's like, you know, oh, yeah. that's not that's yeah. not a metaphor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. yeah.
5: He was the one that would just sort of keep them from getting inadvertently sued by some, you know, by someone on, because of some decision they made one night. You know, like yeah. so. We're very fortunate to have that, uh, quote unquote, like institutional memory. And if they can stick around for another regime that hopefully has a bit of a clearer mandate, you know, I hope it's the right mandate. I do fear that, um, you know, the MPA has been a little more center right in the past and the old axis of right maybe equaling more of a conservationist stance. I don't know if that's necessarily true anymore, but if it is still true and you get like a lot of the West Side voting the MPA in. Maybe we're not in a good growth position hmm. with uh, an MPA majority. I'm not sure. So it right. depends what that party looks like two years from now.
4: Yeah, for sure. I mean, is it the party of Gordon Price or is it the party of George pule right? I mean, they did bring in the downtown South plan, which gave us all of feel to sure. all that, yeah. you know, 80,000 homes. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a good question, which party the MPA will
2: be. Yeah, that's, the, that's an interesting part about that, that party specifically, right, is that it's... Wears many different hats. Or oh, can. completely! It's an yeah. empty vessel between, yeah.
4: right? That's that's what they call. Well, it. Well, and
5: you've still got other parties. Like yes, Vancouver had some fundraiser a couple weeks ago. I didn't go. I don't know how it went. It was fifty bucks a plate. <laughs> but you know, so there are other and groups. This is Hector Bremner's. Uh, I'm not sure is if he's Hector still, in, still oh, involved. I don't know. I don't know Fount, who's organizing that. Member, past guest. I bumped yeah. into <laughs> Stephanie Butler. Butler, right? Yeah. Who is one of their candidates or one of their council candidates? And I had asked her, like, are you organizing this or are you going to this? And I don't think the answer to either of those was yes. So I don't know who is behind all that. Um, hmm. it's not hmm. Mark no, I'm Is not it sure. Mark? Mark Marison maybe? I don't, not I'm sure. don't know. Anyways. I don't
2: know. well it sounds like uh at the at the very least we're in the muddy middle here oh yes <laughs> <laughs> very much yeah. yeah but we do have i think that's uh we should we should maybe hit the five maybe
1: wire. leave it there and yeah can you, we have this segment called the five wire five questions about mm. you in vancouver mm. can you cool. stick around for that sure of course okay so question number one what is your favorite neighborhood we'll start with rob Yelltown. that was easy
5: uh, oh, I would say Yale Town as well. Really? Yeah.
4: Nice.
5: Probably. Okay. Oh, oh wow. I live there too. Come I on. <laughs> <I'm learning. laughs> I was not one of the original. Uh-huh.
2: Well, <laughs> Ray, you came from North Van, if I remember correctly. No,
5: I grew up in Port Moody. I did li- live briefly in, um, in North Van. But the first place I moved into in Yale Town was actually in 1999. Mm-hmm. So, But then I moved to Mexico and other places too.
2: Right.
1: <laughs> Favorite bar or restaurant and doesn't have to be in Yale Town.
5: I don't make it out much any, anymore with kids. Five, with five know. kids, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and sadly, we've been going to like Boston Pizza at the stadium, Boston Pizza, because <laughs> it's, it's like six ninety nine for a family. Damn. You know, like a kids' meal. Yeah, so that's not terribly hip.
1: Yeah, Matt. Matt is now <laughs> like, going to Boston Pizza. I didn't know about that deal? Six ninety nine. You
5: get three courses. It's amazing. <laughs> uh, but I mean, there are a couple. There's a place called um, uh, Bartholomew now in. Um, yale town which i think when they were originally launching they were going to call it bartholomew's plan which is harlan bartholomew, right. bartholomew gave us a lot of our modern zoning code back in the 30s Whoa. it's an american planner and a lot of it is super racist so that wasn't a great <laughs> oh, name
2: right i remember yeah. that yeah yeah yeah. i remember <laughs> racist, so buddy, i
5: think yeah. they just shortened it to bartholomew but it's a fantastic like charcuterie cocktail place in yale town so when and then like i can get an adult night i'll go there where's that on mainland like on mainland, uh, huh. thousand block of mainland yeah
4: nice. Yeah, I and my
5: local is New
4: Oxford, so it's just oh, easy. Oh, yeah. It's easy. Donnelly Group. Sometimes Morrissey. <laughs> Morrissey. If, yeah.
1: This is we are Morrissey at Davy in Granville, right? Yep. Drake in Granville. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah that's amazing. a good... Uh, yeah. that's been around for ...watering hold. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> it's been uh, a long
2: time. Okay, we, and you, you got these written down? I'm yeah, so
1: um, <laughs> one one book that you would recommend that every listener should, should oh, write. Right, right. Oh, uh, we'll start God. with Rob. Um, Chuck
4: Montgomery's book on happy city. Mm. uh, He's been on the, he's been on the show. Yeah. So he, and one of the chapters is about me. really, there you go. I've read that book. I didn't, you I didn't put two,
2: two and two together. I was the
4: guy who lived in the tower and was sad. And then I moved down to the townhouse and I was happy. Oh, right. All my he friends told that there.
1: story. Didn't he tell um, that story on the show, maybe? He he's, does his
4: presentation, yeah. And he yeah. has a big picture of my face like it's on stage. It's like, <laughs>
2: horrific. <laughs> yeah, and is, that, he, uh, he is that a simplified it. story or is that it's actually what happened? Simplified. <laughs> but yeah,
5: yeah, that's kind of what happened. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, right uh on. for me probably this is not a city building book although I you know I would say um Oh, geez. That, no. What's Nathan Loster's book? The Life, oh, yeah. and, death oh, of the, life and Death of the, the single, single Family. family home. Right. Yeah. I mean, that would be a good one to read for specific to Vancouver. Uh, but one that I think explains a lot of sort of human um, psychology is The Paradox of Choice by Barry Schwartz, um, which is a good explainer for just why we're so paralyzed by an overwhelming amount of choice in today's world and how sometimes uh, less is more. So.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: One piece of advice you would give your 18 year old self, coming from two guys who have wildly successful and put yourself out there. Wildly
5: successful. That is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, I now my oldest is closing in on 14, so like my so they're right now all my kids are like 13, 12, 11, 10, and 8. Um, so like at the countdown basically <laughs> is what the you call the group of them. <laughs> so I can almost give this advice to them. Um, geez, I think it's been more fulfilling for me to chase a bunch of things that represent my interest than it is to chase a singular vocation. And um so I, you know, when I started writing that blog, I did it because I just had a thing I wanted to talk about and it brought all sorts of cool people and things in. That's probably nine tenths of the reason why we're sitting here and chatting. Right. Mm-hmm. So just follow your passion. It's super trite. The older I get, the more I realize all these like you know, just na- napkin the kind, of kind of cliche, cliche, yeah, fortune yeah. <laughs> cookie sayings where you used to roll your eyes at are like, yeah, that's pretty much true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really is, isn't it? Sad.
1: <laughs>
4: uh, um, Reap what you sow, right? So you put love into something, you'll get it back. I, I think that's so true. And with anything, it just is about the, the is it long term or short term? But you always get it back. So, yeah. Don't be afraid to. Put love out there. Yeah. Put an interests and gauge out there, right? It's just like yeah, it comes back to you.
1: Fantastic. And yeah. last but not least. Yeah, so something that you have bought recently for under a thousand dollars that's had a positive impact on your life. Oh, a cat.
5: You bought a cat? <laughs> what?
1: For a $1,000? Yeah. Got a special cat. I've never had a cat
4: before. My partner always wanted a cat. So I was like, okay, we'll get a cat. We went to this SPCA up the street, which is so depressing. It's just walls of cats in cages. It's like Uh, they're all rescued and there was one cat. It was just like, oh, now I'm a cat guy, I guess. So we have this cat (laughs) at home. It's like, wow. It's totally changed my life. It's a cat. More so than moving down
1: to the townhouse there. Yeah. (laughs) No. But Not that much. <laughs> I would think that, that's that. had
4: a big... The cat has had a big impact on my life, for sure. Oh, that's funny.
5: Um, I had been thinking of this, like, little... So, I don't know if you've gone on my site and looked at the, sort of, the floor plan, or there used to be, like, a virtual tour. The place doesn't work anymore, unfortunately. I've got to get a new one done. But my bedroom has, like, a Murphy bed in it that you can flip up and put a desk down and all sorts of cool stuff. And I had one other use I wanted to get out of that room, which was as, sort of, like, a movie theater. So you know, you could be in bed and then there'd be like a projector and a screen in front of you. And for under a thousand bucks, I put that together recently. So I think the screen was a couple hundred bucks and the projector was 500 bucks. And I already had a set of speakers I could throw behind it. So the projector just sort of sits on top of the, you know, the Murphy bed sort of frame or whatever. And, you know the screen is on the other end of the room and man that is cool like it's (laughs) you know because obviously i've you know a bunch of other kids and they sometimes have friends over and they're all using all various other parts of the the condo um so i can kind of retreat to there and you know turn the blinds and just watch movies or whatever or even have a kid in there and or two and hang out and watch something and it just is it's yeah especially i mean it's sunny right now as we look out this window but like the winter we've just gone through, uh, yeah,
2: it's been a lifesaver. So, <laughs> no kidding. And I think I saw a, a tour of your place on YouTube at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah,
5: Kristen Dirksen does. Um, she's built quite a YouTube channel. I think she's got like a million some odd followers, and that has been viewed like a couple million times. That tour, I still wow. people get like will recognize me from that, not anything else. Yeah, from that in Vancouver. So she yeah. must have tons of
1: viewers. Wow. Yeah. That's a big movement right now. I mean, I feel like uh, a lot of YouTube channels on small, small homes and True. efficient living. And I'm
5: totally missing the boat on monetizing this. It's, no <laughs> kidding. I haven't written a
1: book, don't have a YouTube channel. I was going to say, I'm you were at your this. Teeth on that You're one of the first. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, even Todd Talbot's in that space now. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks so much for your time,
2: guys. That was a really interesting conversation and appreciate you coming down to the studio. Thanks, thanks you. Yeah, and where and, oh, yeah, and right, and Where, where can
1: people find out more about what you're doing and uh, about you specifically?
5: All of my random links are on adriancrook.net currently. Yeah, yeah so, and right? I'm robertmcdowell.ca.
1: Awesome. Well, we'd love to have you guys back in the future. And yeah, thanks again.
5: Thanks. Thank you.
1: So there you have it, folks, our discussion with Adrian Crook and Rob McDowell. Really enjoyed that con- conversation, Matt, with Adrian and Rob. And, man, that was a lot of fun. Uh, we we actually, it was back in the bento box of all places.
2: Oh, Ramey at RameyFilms.com. That guy's a genius and I uh, haven't seen him forever.
1: Well, you know what? It, it almost brought tears to my eyes because I miss Ramey, and uh, I'm sure he's, he's somewhere with uh, a big, big beard um just enjoying life long hair and uh and editing a lot of films actually i'm sure he's probably still doing some work uh just some some they they call that the long shot
2: yeah yeah i wonder what's uh i have to check in with Rami. i can't wait to get back to the bento box but it, uh but yeah no that was a it was a really good conversation and uh man took me back to the simpler times uh, right of february 2020 man yeah feels like
1: a different decade for sure. And speaking of simpler times, Matt. Moving forward, we are only going to be releasing one episode per week, um, just on account of. Oh uh, yeah,
2: we'll do we'll do we'll do we'll do two this week. Though. Two this week. We're so another one, one
1: on coming on Friday. Um, but then next week we're moving back to our weekly schedule. Every Wednesday night, an episode will be released. Um, and and the reason we're really doing that is just because we feel like hopefully we're doing this in kind of maybe a we've maybe we're too optimistic, but. We're kind of hoping that we're getting a little bit in front of this thing, and our COVID coverage can uh, can relax a bit. That that's right. And you know what you said to me earlier uh, that
2: after Easter, it kind of felt like there was that bookend on the uh, the feeling of almost the holiday COVID feel, right? Um, and it is true. Like we're, I I'm feeling busier not not obviously uh like normal uh, for this time of year but definitely taking more calls uh dealing with uh with a lot of things out there including uh math and science class <laughs> and the weather's getting nicer and I don't know how much more we could you know uh, beat this covid thing uh, to in death. terms of coverage hopefully I feel like we beat really, it to death we've, hopefully it was our podcast yeah, yeah. that
1: beat it to death <laughs> um but uh yeah no, I, I think we're all sick of uh, of hearing about it or at least I am but you know what you're right I uh, it, it is interesting like the the sentiment seems based on the conversations we have been having with people that they might not be anxious to get back into the market, i.e., listing or buying, but um, they're they're definitely thinking about kind of real life again in a, in a meaningful way. And and it's it's uh, I just uh, some of the conversations I have had is you know people are kind of getting back to their day to day routine because they know at some point um, these restrictions are going to be hopefully lifted and and uh, real life uh, is is coming back. So. We're excited about yeah, that, yeah. and uh, I think collectively as a society, we're probably excited about that. So, um, yeah, moving forward, back to one episode a week, and um, looking forward to that. That's right. The the P- Vancouver Real Estate Podcast has taken the lead in going back to our old routine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Matt, if anyone has any questions about buying or selling or just real estate in general, how can they get in touch with you? They can, first off... Uh, not first off, but there's two ways. One
2: is com. That is our website. All of hundreds of episodes and all the resources we have live over there at that site. Go check it out, com, Or you can give me a call at any time,
1: 778-847-2854 or matt at com, Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or adam at com. Or we also have that secret line, which the one thing that may
2: remain secret. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and and never return. Uh, he's he's a bit uh, of a big secret, secret himself. <laughs> info at VancouverRealEstatePodcast dot com.
1: Yeah, and shout out to Secret wherever you are. Uh, thanks for editing these podcasts, and uh, you should really reach out, like reach out using the info line yourself to us. Take care.
2: Yeah, everybody, um, please mute your phones, if you can, please.
0: <laughs> and your toilets.
1: Councilor De Genova, are you on the line? Okay. Councilor Fry.
3: Folks, we need everyone to mute your phones. We're hearing water in the background. <laughs>
0: that's
3: a nice way of describing it. I know, I was... I was Trying to
0: someone is doing <laughs> council business on the toilet. <laughs> okay, we'll start I think again. We're being Co-
1: broadcast right now, folks.
0: Two thousand faces for
3: radio. Subscribe today. <laughs>